Hello and welcome to a live edition of the Metrospective before a huge series for the Mets coming off a nice win Wednesday and a day off Thursday. I'm Ted Berg. I'm speaking on Friday in the early afternoon with one of the Athletics Mets beat writers, Tim Britton. And Tim, you have called this the Mets' biggest series since 1985. I, you know, Ted, I think it might be even bigger. It's, it is quite possibly the biggest series in their history in the regular season. You know, you go back to uh, like other important series that they have played of late. You know, in 2015 against the Nationals, those big series were the beginning of August, the beginning of September. Uh, and, and they ended up winning the division pretty easily over Washington, in part because of how they played against them. Uh, you go back to 2007 and 2008, those series at the end of the year were not against the team they were directly competing against. They didn't play Philadelphia in the last week or two of the season, either of those years. Uh, you go back to 99 and 2000, their, their series against the Braves. Uh, they were important series, but you know the wild card wasn't really penalized to the same extent at that point in time. And we saw plenty of examples uh, during that era of the wild card, so 95 to 2011, in which... You know, teams that were playing for the division that final weekend of the season weren't really trying very hard. They were fine being tied and whoever got, you know, it just matter who you played. Uh, then, you know, you go back to 85 before that. It's that that three game series they played at Bush Stadium in St. Louis, the same part of the season. It was the second to last series of the year. The Mets were down three and needed a sweep. Uh, they won the first two, but lost the third. So I think, you know, that that's really the last series in regular season Mets history that that compares to this one, and you can make a case this is even bigger because the gap between the teams is smaller. Uh, that uh, you know, I, I guess maybe it's a little different. You do have the fallback; you're going to make the postseason anyway. But uh, that's a big difference. That's a whole round of playoff games, right? Right, you're fifty percent more likely to advance. You know, yeah. So I, I think the way the format is now. Uh, it, it works out really well to make this series uh, as big as it is because it's a six-team format. Uh, you can imagine, man, if, if Major League Baseball got its wish, if we had a seventh team in the postseason and you know the, the winner of this series would get to play the Brewers in a wild card round and the loser gets to play the Padres, like, yeah, we're not, we're not shifting Jacob DeGrom around uh, in the rotation, not doing those types of things. Uh, so it, I, I do think it's as big a series as the Mets have maybe ever played in the regular season. And the pitching matchups are, are right there to meet the size of the series with, as you referenced, DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett for the Mets, Freed, Kyle Wright, and Charlie Morton for the Braves, Braves without Spencer Strider, which would really be the, uh, I guess, like the icing on the cake for a big series would be to have the incredibly good young pitcher who's already talked some trash. Uh, The other big news for the Mets is is Francisco Alvarez joining the team. I'm certain we're going to get to that. We have a couple questions in the chat about it already. Um, But first, I want to go to the queue and see what Michael B. is wondering. Michael, what's up? Hey, I was wondering, um, what what are the expectations for Francisco Alvarez uh, now that he's called up? And why did the Mets wait until the end of September to call him up if they planned on using him in the postseason? It's good, good questions, Michael. Uh, I, I think they waited this far because they did not plan on using him in the postseason. Yeah, I don't know that the Mets could answer that one. Yeah, I, I think the, the goal the entire time was that Darren Ruff would be their, their right-handed DH against left-handed pitching. Uh, and even on September 1st, when you know there was the option of calling up Mark Vientos to be that guy, there was you know they still wanted to give Ruff his at-bats. We're another month later, 
uh, and he still hasn't gotten many hits. He's, he's I think, 10 for 66 uh, with the Mets with three extra base hits, no home runs. Uh, so he's just in a slump so deep that they're looking for other options. They, they turned to Vientos two weeks ago. You know, he's, uh, I think, four for 28 since he's coming up. Uh, so now you look at Alvarez, who is healthy now after, you know, he was not an option on September 1st because of his ankle injury uh, and is hitting. Uh, or, or finish the season hitting very well in AAA, which is not the, what the case was back in July when they had a, a chance to call him up and when I thought they should have called him up. I think certainly you can take issue with how the Mets have handled some of their prospects this year, that they, they turned down chances to see them more often in the major league level. And so now you're entering the final week of the season, you know, wondering who's going to start against a left-handed pitcher as your DH. Uh, but it's probably better late than never in, in the case of Alvarez. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, it's something they've got to do. We keep talking about this spot, right? Which, again, is like, it's it's a fairly marginal position in the scheme of a 26-person MLB roster, right? You're looking for the, the right-handed half of a DH platoon. Like, in theory, it, it shouldn't really be that hard to fill, but we criticize them for, for not looking at Vientos and Alvarez earlier. Uh, as recently as the last podcast, I think we dismissed Alvarez as sort of a silly option, giving, given how late they are in the season. This, uh, it, it reeks of desperation a little bit. Yeah, but I mean, you say it, it's it's a, it's it's not like a, a regular starter every day. But you know, you look at the postseason and, and who the Mets might face. You know, the, the the Braves obviously have Max Fried going tonight. I would expect Alvarez to be in the starting lineup. It would be weird if he weren't, but who knows? Um, you know, you've got I, I don't know what Washington's uh, pitching setup is. I, I don't think Washington knows because they've got such a weird series with the Phillies going on this weekend, weather permitting. Uh, but then if you get into the postseason, you face St. Louis. They've got possibly two left-handed starters in their rotation. Uh, you face San Diego. You've got at least Blake Snell. Uh, you face uh, Philadelphia. You've got probably Bailey Falter might be part, a member of their, their postseason rotation, him or Ranger Suarez. Uh, you face L.A. you got <laughs> Julio Urias. You've got Clayton Kershaw. You've got Tyler Anderson. Uh, you've got a whole bunch of left-handed options uh, for the Dodgers. So whoever is going to be their right-handed DH is going to be used. Uh, and considering you know the, the best option they had this when we were talking last week, was probably to play Luis Guillorme and just have a better defense. Uh, it's it's worth giving this a try. It's just a matter of, man, can you? What does Francisco Alvarez have to do in two or three games in the next week for you to feel comfortable taking him on your postseason roster? Like if he goes 0 for 8 but hits the ball hard, is that is that good enough? Uh, does he have to get three hits? Does he have to go Mike Jacobs on us? Uh, it, it's a really interesting small sample to give him. And it's compounded, I think, the issue by the fact that that Starling Marte's status seems a bit uncertain. I think at at the time of the injury, everyone sort of thought and hoped he would be back in time for this series. He will not be. uh, He has an 877 OPS against lefties this season. He was one of their most valuable bats in that spot. And so it does make it like a little more urgent to find someone if there is uncertainty over whether and when he'll come back. Yeah, and that, that's the other part of it. That's a really good point that I, I probably should have addressed earlier. Um, is you don't you know got it in what, your column. That's how I, how I knew it. You, you don't know what Marte's status is longer term. So in, when you're facing a left-handed pitcher like, like Freed, like Darren Ruff might be your starter in right field. Uh, you know, they can start Naquin against righties in Marte's spot. But against lefties, they've been starting Ruff. Uh, they've, you know, they've been starting Guillaume or with, with McNeil in right field. 
you know, they've had to do some other things that, that weaken the lineup. So there, there's a chance that if you're looking at Ruff, Vientos, and Alvarez as your three options, there's games against lefties. You're going to have to start both of those. You're going to start two of those guys. Uh, and so I think that's that's an, another element of, of why they've struggled so much against lefties of late without Marte. I was talking to someone, uh, a, a coach for an opposing team in the last couple of weeks who said, man, they really need him back. Uh, he's a guy who really makes that offense go. When you, we talk about what Alonzo and Lindor have done in driving in runs, they've each got over 100 RBIs. They've also batted with more runners on base than anyone else in baseball, those two guys. Uh, and that's a, a testament to what Nimmo and, and Marte have done in front of them all year long. Uh, let's hear from Kevin F., who has been waiting in the in the queue. Kevin, what's going on? Uh, hey, uh, two things real quick. Is, is there been is there been a corresponding move for Alvarez announced yet or no? They have not announced one yet, no. Okay. Do you see that color from the bullpen? Probably not. Uh, I, I think it's it's. Um, I, I think because they've got to make a move for Givens later, that would be the bullpen move, and that's maybe where they finally have to make a decision between Peterson and Rodriguez as their lefty. Um, okay. But I, I think if the likeliest move to me is probably that they're sending Vientos down um, because Alvarez and Vientos are kind of redundant players. Uh, you know, you might say rough, but rough at least can play the outfield a little bit. Uh, so my guess would be Vientos goes down. Uh, they've got some 40-man options to make. You know, they can move Beatty to the 60-day injured list. They can uh, designate Alex Claudio for assignment. They can do things like that. Uh, on the active roster, it is it is tougher, but my guess would be Vientos. Okay. Uh, other point would be about the Grom. We can see his last two starts; he's been human, uh, and I think it, it's it's he is uh, it's his success has sort of set him up for a lot of people to have some questions about you know the last two starts and how he's given up more runs, where he's looking a little bit more like a normal major league baseball uh, pitcher. Um, but is there some serious concern there? Is it is do we think it's some fatigue? Uh, I know he's only come back for half the season. Um, we're hearing everything that his bullpens, at least on the on the Mets broadcast, that his bullpens have been immaculate uh, prior to going out. It's just something's not translating when he's getting out to out to the mound. Uh, this last two starts, um, should should we just see that as just a blip, and, and, and or do you think there's any kind of concern going into the postseason? Thanks for the question, Kevin. Um, I think you know it's tough for me to say that, like these last two starts have been really bad for him because the first five innings of the Start two starts ago against Pittsburgh, he struck out 13 guys in a 15 batter stretch. Right, and then he started like, out spectacularly, and then it just and we know that he's coming back, right? So like I think it's easy if that one's in isolation, it's easy to just say, okay, like he 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 hit the wall there. Yeah, it, it was a, a bad three batter stretch, compounded of course by by what was legitimately a bad start in Oakland. I think there's there's a couple ways to look at what's happened in these last two starts. You can say. You know, I, I look at like the the fastball velocity. It's not it's been down on average, uh, mainly because he's been throwing more fastballs at 95, 96 at times uh, instead of throwing them all at 100 miles an hour. There's two ways of looking at that. One is that the Mets have wanted him to be doing that for a long time, dating back to last year. They've had conversations with him about like, hey, you don't need to throw that hard all the time. Maybe save that for the most important moments in a game, and that Degrom has just finally accepted that. The pessimistic way of looking at that is why has DeGrom finally accepted that after a year of not accepting it? Um, is there something physical that makes him think, well, you know what, I've got to do this now in a way that I didn't have to last year. Uh, is there some fatigue? Is is he not getting through the full extent of his outings the way he would like to at this point? I don't think that necessarily means you know there's an injury there. I think it's it could be just he's not the 100% that he wants to be 
Uh, and this is his easiest way of, of giving him a chance to go six and seven innings. And look, like, just because he's throwing 96-mile-an-hour fastballs doesn't mean he's ineffective as a starter. Like, he was throwing 96 and striking out 13 out of 15 Pirates. Uh, he can be good at that velocity. He won a Cy Young at that velocity. Uh, but uh, it is a little bit different than what we saw from him uh, the first part of this season. Here's a, uh, an interesting question from Steve F. in the chat. Uh, he says he loves the live po- podcasts we do, which which I appreciate. Uh, and he said, last week, the bullpen locks, according to Ted, and I'm not the informed one here, but uh, it were Diaz, Adovino, Lugo, May, and Givens. After dealing the other night, do you think we have to move Drew Smith into that group? And I'll just say quickly, like, I, while as soon as I saw Drew Smith pitch that inning, it was like, okay, congrats. Like, you've just punched your ticket to the postseason. Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about it. Those five guys were kind of the locks, and then there were the guys the Mets wanted to give the spots, the next spots to, and that's Smith, McGill, and Peterson. Uh, and the way Smith Smith pitched well enough the other night to kind of, I won't say lock him in there. You know, if he gives up six runs in a game on, on Saturday, then it's a problem. Um, but I, I think those are the three guys who are clearly ahead of uh, the rest of the crew, whether it's it's... Joely Rodriguez, whether it's Trevor Williams, you know, Tommy Hunter's on the IL, so he's not really a, a consideration. You know, Carrasco and Walker are both struggling to the extent that, like, you're not really itching to put one of them in the bullpen for you to get to have them both on a, a division series roster, at least. Maybe the, the LCS, it's different. But I, I think those are the, if I'm picking today what the Mets' eight-man postseason bullpen looks like, it includes Smith, McGill, and Peterson. And, and we, we should say, you do have to see Givens come back. Right. Uh, they've, they've had some uncertainty with his timeline as he's on the, the COVID-19 IL uh, to see when he can he can return and, and how healthy he is and how ready he is to pitch. I'll say that Givens offered one of my favorite reaction shots in the dugout all season this year um, after I, I think it was in Wednesday night's game when when Nito hit the double. And and like you just saw Givens start looking around like, hey, where's Terrence Gore? And it, it was like the the first it was it was exactly where I registered like, oh, you go to Ter- Terrence Gore here. Uh, and that was it, it was like Michael Givens was just absolutely on that. Yeah, it is. And that was a really interesting scenario. Like Gore, you know, is there to steal second base. But when he starts on second, like, does he think about stealing third? And he ended up not stealing third. Uh, but uh, that that is. Uh, like the how aggressive you want him to be in spots like that is uh, an interesting question for the postseason. Uh huh. Like, you, you, do you treat it as a guarantee that he can steal third base uh, against a lefty pitcher who's not maybe not as as adept at holding pitcher batters off second or holding runners on second? Uh, I don't know. And 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 that was like a it was a. There was like several. That was like 4D chess in that game, right? Because it was like, well, if he steals, then they're going to be able to walk Alonzo, and we don't want that. So we can't send him here, even though we do want our fast man on second base in case there's a single. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into those decisions. Uh, but having that ability to steal a base in that spot, and, and at least putting that pressure on a defense to know you can steal that spot, uh, is helpful. Uh, here's another question from the chat. This comes from Taryn S. Uh, who says, I saw today that the Mets and Buck Showalter have the best percentage of overturns on calls challenged in baseball. Is there something that Harrison Friedland did to prepare for this role that makes him so good, or is it a Buck Showalter thing? Uh, Buck will always give the credit to Harrison on those. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has called him their secret weapon really since the start of the season, uh, even before it's borne itself out this way. Uh, So that is something that I've been trying to get to the bottom of a little bit, the Mets haven't been like super willing to talk about it, uh, but oh, he and is, no team is right. No one's no one's going to give you their exact process, especially if they're good at it. 
yeah, but but they uh, they trust him. Uh, they trust Harrison a lot, and he he's he's rewarded that trust. He is very good at it and getting them relatively quickly whether they should challenge something or not. Another interesting question from the chat. This is from Brian P. He wants to know: Would it really be worth starting Jacob Degrom the last day of the year to try to win the division with the chance that you lose him then for any kind of wild card series? That is going to be a really interesting dilemma and one the Mets might run up against. I, there's, so there's two scenarios where that last game of the season means something to the Mets. One is they are tied with the Braves, uh, and a Mets win means they win the division. And the other is they are a game behind Atlanta, and they need a win and an Atlanta loss. I think it makes more sense to start DeGrom in the first scenario, mm-hmm. uh, in the scenario in which winning gets you the bye. If you control uh, you know your that destiny, doing, then yeah. who cares if you if you don't have him for the wild card series? If you are a game behind, uh, it becomes a bit harder to do that. Uh, I the, that's the reason I kind of liked the idea of sticking with Bassett on Friday night uh, tonight to be to be tonight's starter and that guy in that spot to start Wednesday because you know you, you feel really good about your chances of winning a game with Chris Bassett starting against the Nationals. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also, you know, if you lose him for the wild card series, it's not the same kind of blow that losing Degrom is. Uh, so I thought he was like a good compromise candidate for that spot. Uh, the Mets decided not to do that. Uh, you know, the I don't know if if you're a game behind and you don't want to start Degrom, like if you go strictly a bullpen game and try to beat Washington that way. You know, it is a it's a, a poor opponent. It's a team you think you can beat uh, pretty much whoever you throw out there. Uh, but it it becomes uh, a bit more difficult there and and. I, w- I would say having DeGrom for the wild card series is more worth it uh, in that situation. Right, and especially because, you know, I think you could think, well, if it was one of Walker or Carrasco, hey, that's like, that makes it pretty easy because then we just, then we leave that guy off the wild card roster, right? Like, if, if, you're, if you're deciding between those two guys anyway, then that's an easy way to make that decision. But they're going to need them for the first two games of that series, and so that makes it immaterial. Right. You you would have to have a, a six starter go that game instead of DeGrom. It would have to be like, you know, Trevor Williams throws three innings and Peterson and McGill come in after him, that kind of situation. What if the Mets, I mean, if the Mets are have won it by then, then there's no chance you see DeGrom. Right. I mean, maybe he throws a tune-up inning or two. Um, but uh, at that point, then I think you, you get definitively like a bullpen game. Right. Um, and and then you know when do they have to set the postseason roster? Because do they have until the day before the wild card series to to decide? Like do they have that last game? Because if you're looking at a bullpen game, like at this point, honestly, like we keep talking about, like those last spots are 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 wide open. So it's like, hey, guess what? We're in. This is it. This is your interview game. Yeah. So uh, for if they're playing in a wild card series, they will need to set their roster. I believe it's like the day of game one of that series. It would probably be like Friday at you know 11 a.m. Eastern time, noon Eastern time, something like that. Um, if they're not playing until the division series and they don't have to set it until uh, the, the day the division series starts. Right. Uh, and so there would be plenty of time then to make their decisions. And, you know, we, we've talked about kind of the difference between what your NLDS roster and NLCS roster might be in terms of carrying all five starters versus four. If you're in the wild card series, you know, let's say DeGrom pitches that final game on Wednesday uh, and, and the Mets are have to play in the wild card anyway. You know, you probably don't carry Jacob DeGrom on your wildcard roster. You know, you, you probably carry your your three starters uh, in, it would be Scherzer, Bassett, and Walker or Carrasco, 
and then you build up your your bullpen differently, and you probably carry an extra position player in that case because it is only a three-game series. Yanni M. is back and waiting to ask us a question. Yanni, welcome back. Hey, Tim. Hey, Ted. Thanks. I am currently sitting at LaGuardia, a four-hour delay on flight to Atlanta. I'm very excited going to the series. Um, I wanted to ask about... Uh, setting the starter for the season roster, you had written that um, punch a week ago was that Mets would go based off of matchups, and it would be Carrasco versus Milwaukee or St. Louis, and it would be Walker versus uh, San Diego. Given the way that you pitched last week, how changed that all? And is the Washington series still an audition for them, or is that hard to gauge due to the, I don't want to call it ineptitude, but for lack of a better word, the ineptitude of the Washington offense? Yeah, I mean, I I think, uh, thanks for the question. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Carrasco had the worst start. Uh, this past week against Miami, the Walker wasn't certainly didn't look dominant uh, in his start either. So I, I think I kind of feel the same way I did last week about how they would set that up. I think there's a little bit more concern about the way Carrasco has looked his last two starts. And I think, you know, your if your argument, the strongest argument against him is just how often in the first couple of innings the team has fallen behind. It's four of his last six starts. The Mets have been three or more runs behind in the first three innings. That's concerning. Uh you know, uh, the, the Washington starts for them, I think, are important because of the way they have pitched lately, that if one of them pitches uh, markedly better than the other, that that could be the decisive factor, uh, just because both of them have looked uh, so pedestrian of late uh, that, that that might be the chance to kind of make a statement uh, one way or the other, even against an offense that isn't very good, because uh, neither of them pitched that well against an offense that isn't very good in, in Miami last week. I thought... You know, I thought Walker looked pretty good. Like, the results weren't spectacular, but to me, he looked like it. it, I felt a little better about the way Walker looked, and it does. And I don't know if this is purely anecdotal and just like a times I've been watching thing or a a real thing. He does seem less prone to the complete clunker start. Like, a bad Walker start is, is five innings and four runs. And Carrasco, as you mentioned, is more likely to lay an egg in inning one or two. Yeah, I mean, Walker had, like, the ultimate clunker that the Mets have had this year against Atlanta, that one one game where he gave up eight runs in the first two innings. Right. But outside of that, I think he's only had one other start where he's given up more than four. Uh, that was against Philadelphia in early May. Yes. Um, whereas Carrasco's had... I don't remember uh, these had, things. I'm looking at his game lock. <laughs> Carrasco's had more, more innings where he's given up three or more runs. He's had more starts where he's given up more than four runs. Uh, he's had more starts where he's given up those runs early on. Obviously, the first inning has been an issue for him going back to last season. Uh, you know, he's given up, I think it's 16 first inning runs in 28 starts, which sounds terrible. Uh, but also eight of them came against Houston, uh, in two starts, um, which, you know, you can throw them out, but also say like, that's the best lineup he faced. He, he needs to be better against a team like that. Um, and, and Carrasco's results against really, against teams over 500 are not promising. Walkers aren't great, but they're a little bit better than Carrasco's. And in general, it becomes sort of like a, a uh science versus faith type thing too right like if you look at the peripherals Carrasco has been a touch better than Walker this year and if you look at the results Walker has been a touch better than Carrasco 
Yeah, and like they've got similar repertoires, so I'm not sure that they're, you know, I've, I've talked about matchups. I'm not sure that they're, it's not like one's a righty, one's a lefty. Uh, they both, you know, Walker throws Carrasco's splitter. That, that's the pitch that's really helped him out this year. Uh, I'm not sure that there's like a, a team that's a specific difference in matchup because of how, how their right-handers swing the bat or something like that. You know, Carrasco's got the better swing and miss rate, the better strikeout rate, those kinds of things. Although both of those are down a little bit uh, this past month. So it, it's kind of, I don't think, you know, they're going to make an ultimate decision here, and it's not going to be clear either way. Uh, and, I, I, you know, it's just a matter of what they come down to, who they come down to believing in more, I think, at the end. And we talked a lot last time or, or two times ago about, you know, who's making these decisions. But with that one, too, like you have to consider also that there's an entire analytics department working with numbers that we've probably never seen. Right. And so there's like some chance they know, oh, Carlos Carrasco has exactly the right, you know, playing on his slider to neutralize this guy, this guy, this guy and this guy in this lineup. And so uh, he's the right guy for us. Right. But But like I think that. Uh, we're going to second guess whatever decision they make here. Yeah, like if the if the pitcher pitches well in his division series start, it's a great decision. If he doesn't, then they should have gone with the other guy. That's right. that's how the the basic reaction is going to be. Let's hear from Jesse S. Jesse, what's going on? Hey guys, can you hear me? Yeah. Gotcha. Hey, sorry about that. No worries. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, I saw this question in the chat, but I'm just looking for an update on Marte. I feel like, um, you know, the Mets, I wouldn't say they've sputtered here. They're five and three in their last eight games, which is kind of around their average. Um, the Braves are four and four, but it feels like the Mets are really missing Marte, even when they're winning games. Um, I believe it's the last game that they won against Atlanta. Marte had that first inning home run. They, you can't throw him that ball low and down the middle. He crushes that. I feel like he just provides a great spark for the team and they can win without him, but they have a much better chance with him. It really rounds out the lineup. It kind of takes care of that DH with the rough Vientos problem. Um, what are, what's the update on Marte? It seems very shrouded in secrecy right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and thank you for the question, Jesse, because I think it's probably the most important one surrounding the Mets right now is, is what is the status of Starling Marte going forward? You know, they, he's still in a splint uh, on that finger. He hasn't been able to, to throw or swing a bat. You know, they, they took a, a CT scan uh, over the weekend. I think it was on Sunday uh, that showed progress in his recovery, but, you know, bones heal, wind bones heal. Uh, and so he's not able to do uh, everything that he wants to do yet. So it's going to, you know, there's, it's still uncertain. There's no timeline. At least they've not said publicly what the timeline is. And I think it's another instance where, man, getting a bye and not having to play three games where you, you, you might not have Starling Marte for the wild card series. I don't think it's a given he'd be ready by then. Uh, could be really helpful because, like you said, you know, I think Alonzo and Lindor are going to be the guys on this team that get MVP votes. Maybe, maybe Edwin Diaz gets gets a down ballot one. Maybe Jeff McNeil gets a down ballot one. But you can make a case Marte should be on that list as well, given what he's provided defensively in right field, mm-hmm. uh, in the number two spot in the lineup. You know, I've I've compared this team on a, a few occasions to the the 2013 Red Sox team that I covered that won the World Series, uh, and Marte reminds me of Shane Victorino who who played right and hit second for that, that team. That is sacrilege. Don't as, say that. Don't say that out loud as, on the Mets podcast, Tim. As as a you're guy, better who, than that. The more you see him, you appreciate every little facet that he helps you win a baseball game. Oh, it's a stretch, uh, but Shane Victorino. Uh, and Marte, who's obviously just way, way better than Shane Victorino ever was, uh, reminds me of, of that. 
Okay. Um, okay. I, I guess I don't know. We'll let's take one more question from the chat and then wrap it up. And and I'll leave. I'll let. Uh, it was Tim Britton who just drew a Shane Shane Victorino comp to a, a current Met, and not myself. Um, it, uh, Andre, this is uh, well. These are related questions that are back to back in the chat. Andre M wants to know: Do you think there's any savvy to bringing up? Uh, he, he refers to Alvarez as El Troll. I don't. Is that a nickname that I've missed? I, th- um, I think he has been called the Troll at, on some level. I've I haven't followed super closely the nickname. Yeah. I don't know. I'll avoid it. I'll avoid that one. Let's just say Francisco Alvarez. Now, uh, like there is there credence to why they waited so that the postseason teams don't have enough at bats to get a book on him? Um, like, and he points out Vaughn Grissom as an example of a, of a similar situation, or is this just option C after Ruff and Vientos? And then Sandy B wants to know, uh, it was too bad it's not Sandy A, because we could get the answer straight from him. Uh, Sandy B wants to know, uh, some have said the team did a disservice to Vientos by thrusting him right into this pressure cooker. I think this would be even worse with Alvarez. Do you agree this is not the best for a young player to be called up now? Yeah, so on both of those questions, to Andre's question, uh, the the idea of like uh, a minor league player coming up and major league teams not having any info on him, uh, that's obsolete at this point. Thing like, in the past. You, you, have, you have full scouting reports. Uh, I was asking someone about Vientos the other day, kind of like, Oh, you know, what, what's the what's do, do you have a scouting report on him? What's of course we have a scouting report. Like we have as much info on him as on any major league player. Um, so. Uh, I don't think I don't think that's the case. I think it is clearly just option C, like you say. Um, to, to Sandy's question, uh, you know, it, it like Ted said, it kind of has a little bit of a, a desperate feel to it, uh, and and that's because you no, know, this is not the best scenario to bring up it's a young like, player. Very obviously feels, not. It um, feels like you know when when they when they like when you hear about like oh like my parents caught me smoking a cigarette so they made me they made me smoke the whole pack in in the closet or whatever and like it's like oh you wanted to play in the big leagues this year kid okay here you go like here's the braves here's max freed in the biggest game of the year right so i this is why you know in july when mccann was out and and the mets were playing nito every day and they had mazika as their backup who they never played uh i felt like that would have been a nice chance to give alvarez you know work alvarez in on a non-everyday basis you know give him a shot every couple days uh to see what he can do that's why i thought with with vientos there was that kind of potential earlier in the month of september than when they called him up that you know you want to work a guy in to where they can get their feet wet but not feel like they're in the they're, they're thrown in the deep end uh they're throwing these guys into the deep end and you know alvarez is a good enough prospect where he he might be able to swim uh but it, it is it is tough and you could point out oh well he's been mashing at triple a but vientos was mashing at triple a Right, you know, Vientos, like, when, when people were making the case for Alvarez in, in late June and early July, uh, one of the things I'd point out was, like, Vientos is doing the same thing and has been doing the same thing for a longer time at that level. It's a little bit different. Vientos strikes out a bit more, and that's that's something that you worry about at the major league level, and it's it's borne itself out a bit with and Vientos. I'll say also but, that's one of the most promising things I think about Alvarez recently is he's he's walking just as much as he's striking out. Yeah, and, and he's, he's looked comfortable at the AAA level more so than he was earlier in the – the season when he was hitting on the interstate in AAA, but uh, you know it's it's a, an awful lot of pressure to put on a young guy. He's handled pressure well uh, in, in other spots, but this is uh, this is a whole different level for him. 
Well, we will be back next week to discuss that further, see how how we feel about Francisco Alvarez after a massive three-game sample, clearly enough with which to uh, conclusively determine whether he is the right fit for the postseason roster. We'll also have a little bit more clarity by then, ideally, about uh, how the Mets will play their Wednesday game against the Nationals, but maybe not. Uh, in, in any case, we will be back to talk about it. If you've got a question for the show, you can email asktedberg at gmail.com, or you could hit us up on Twitter. I'm at OGTedberg. Tim is at Tim Britton. Uh, to all those out there with questions, thank you. To everyone listening, thank you for tuning in. And Tim, until next time, peace out. Adios. Adios.